right, tonight I'm, um, I'm going to, we've been kind of on this theme, but dancing around on a couple different ideas of it. Um, but I've been kind of tackling some big stuff lately, some stuff that we've heard preach certain ways or communicate certain ways, and especially on Sunday. And I've been kind of tackling it because how many of you know that the word of God does not contradict itself? Are you with me? And so the flow of, of the word of God from beginning to end, if you understand, if you understand the, the ultimate storyline of redemption, you understand how everything fits in and it doesn't contradict itself. So when we find scriptures, uh, usually it's one at a time. Usually it's one scripture that's used or, or a concept that's used and oftentimes not used even word for word. We usually take it and we create some man-made concept out of it. And then we use that. And if that, if we have 60 other scriptures that seem to contradict that one statement or that one scripture, uh, 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 it's usually, t that's usually kind of like if you're a, you know, they have those dogs that sniff for truffles in Italy, you know, it's like, that's usually means you need to stop because there's something of value there uh, because the word of God does not contradict itself. And so on Sunday, I tackled Jude one, four, which is where people get the idea or the concept of grace giving people license to, to do wrong or do sin. And we actually showed uh, what God was communicating was totally different than that on Sunday. And if you missed it, um, there's, I think, I think there's about half of it that's online because uh, our media guy was stuck in Bradenton. His whole neighborhood was flooded. And so we tried to pull it together, but the audio wasn't on for the first half of it. Um, it's just the way it goes because uh, we, we are not the media guy. There's Stephen. And so um, I'm actually thinking about doing a recap of it, like a 10-minute recap of it, so that we can get it in its entirety and you can go listen to it because it's, it's really important to understand. Because I promise you, when you start getting a revelation or more of a revelation of the full measure of what was finished on the cross and grace poured out, um, you're going to encounter people that whip out, usually it's one scripture, that want to beat you over the head with it. And you've got You've got 50 scriptures that seem to say the opposite, but they'll take that one scripture, usually out of context, or they'll create something out of it, fabricate some words um, to add to it to, to somehow or seemingly contradict what you have to say. But the word of God does not contradict itself. The Bible says that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Are you with me? What he said then and what he's saying now and what he's going to say should all line up. And so my job is to show you how it actually does. So this is another one of those little studies. If you, if you find this interesting, which Gretchen and Dwight told me they found it interesting, you're going to enjoy this one too. So Hebrews, uh, we find this, this idea of falling from grace. How many of you ever heard somebody say, oh, they fell from grace? How many of you ever heard that? Are the rest of you awake or you just uh, are living in a hole somewhere? Really, seriously. Uh, even when I was growing up, that's what we would say. It was like, a nice way of saying somebody really screwed up. So like if a pastor, a male pastor, had, had an affair on his wife and it was found out and it came out, we would say he fell from grace. It was a nice way of saying he really screwed up. And this idea of falling from grace um, comes primarily from this chapter in Hebrews. Now, how many of you know tonight that if, if, if you cheat on your spouse that that's wrong and that's sin? How many of you believe that tonight? How many of you believe there's consequences when you do that? 
right? Even if you end up repairing the relationship, there's trust you have to rebuild, there's damage that's done to your kids, there's all sorts of stuff that happens when that goes on. So how many of you understand that tonight Pastor Dan's not saying, go cheat on your wife, it's cool, because this scripture didn't mean that? Everybody understand that tonight? We all understand that bad decisions and bad choices often have bad outcomes in our life. Uh, unless you want to get shot. I'm married to a Spanish woman, so probably a knife's going to be involved. Okay? It's just, it's just true. <laughs> if you find me and somebody shot me, it wasn't her. But if I got stab wounds, call the sheriff's department and tell them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she's Scottish. They shoot. Um, so this in Hebrews, we're going to find this in Hebrews 12. Where do we get the idea of falling from grace? We find it in Hebrews 12 where it says, Pursue peace with all men, and the sanctification without no one else will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and that it might be defiled, or, and by it many be defiled, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterward, oh, sorry, that even afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. Going back to verse 14, um, it says, sanctification, uh, verse 15, sorry, see to it that no one comes short, some of them say falls short of grace. This idea of falling short of grace, falling short of the grace of God, uh, primarily, there's a couple of the references, but primarily comes from here. So people will say, what about Hebrews 12, 15? Mr. Grace Preacher, what about Hebrews 12, 15? And so we're going to look at this because it needs to make sense and line up with everything else Jesus was and everything else he said and all the other things that Paul talked about and the stuff that we've been talking about the last two services about Peter and the story there and all the stuff that we've been talking about and how the grace and the, or the spirit of God and the law cannot coexist and all these things that we've been building on and understanding about his grace, this has to line up for what does it mean to fall from grace? How does a believer fall from grace? Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that a believer can fall from grace? It says it. But how do we fall from grace? Is it speeding on your way to church? Is it cheating on your wife? Is it, is it uh, gambling your, your rent away? What does it mean to fall away from grace? Che uh, stealing from work? What does it mean to fall from grace? Because that's what I've always understood it to be. When you really have a huge moral failure in your life, you've fallen from grace. Well, as you can imagine, I'm going to go somewhere else with it. <laughs> We're going to go way back to Exodus. Someone say, way back to Exodus. The second book in the Bible. The, remember, this is the God of an old covenant. Actually, the old covenant had not been poured out yet when we're starting in verse, or, uh, chapter 14. Now, if you try to stay with me as I burn through this, you're going to lose your mind. Just look at the screen, okay? Don't try to do it in your Bible because we're going to do, how about we do 15 chapters in about five minutes, all right? That's how fast we're going to go. So in chapter 14, we have um, the miracle of the Red Sea. 
You've heard of that, right? Israelites are there. Egyptians are chasing them down. The Israelites have finally been set free from Egypt. They've left captivity. They're on their way to hopefully the promised land. They leave Egypt. And what happens? The Egyptians are chasing them. We find actually in, in verse 15 of Exodus 14 that it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. As for you, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. You can find out that actually the Israelites, when they got to the banks of the Red Sea and, and they could hear or see the dust of the chariots coming their way, the Israelites began to complain. And they actually said, uh, we would rather be enslaved and be in slavery to Egypt than die here. We'd rather go back and be slaves than die here. We see something going on in a pattern that I'm going to develop. I don't have time to stop and to get into detail of every one. But as we go through these chapters, you're going to see a pattern. Something happens, a need arises, the Israelites complain and murmur and blame somebody. How many of you know that complaining and murder, or murder, that's who, <laughs> complaining and murmuring is sin? Ungratefulness. And really, the root of this is they didn't have faith that God was going to actually see them through. How many believe that that's sin, right? We'll call it what it is. So let's go through this. So, so they're complaining. You're just going to leave us here in the wilderness. The Lord, Moses goes back to the Lord. He's like, these people are freaking out. I mean, they're going berserk. And the Lord says, well, buddy, you don't need me. Go up there with your staff. I've anointed you to lead these people. Lift up your staff. And, and, and I'm going to deliver you. You'll see. So we know the story. There, in verse 31 of the same chapter, it says, When Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord. Now, how many of you know they weren't cowering in the corner? That fear means they respected the Lord. They had great admiration for what the Lord had done. And they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. God performs a miracle. They believe in the Lord, have great respect and affirmation, admiration for what he's done. They recognize that it was a miracle and his hand. And then we begin this cycle of craziness with the people because we move to chapter 15. In chapter 15, they sing this amazing song about how great God is. It was the modern version of how great is our God. Sing with me how great. Right? It's like they just go on and on in chapter 15 about how great God is. And, and that's where we get the, the kid's song about the horse and chariot or horse and rider going to the sea, all that stuff. That's where we get this from, from this song, right? So it's great. It's a sound of victory. Well, you just move just a couple of verses down in chapter 15, and we get to verse 24. It says, then the people, remember who just said how much they fear the Lord, how much they loved him and were grateful for the miracle he performed, and they just all together gotten kumbaya circles and sang, sang a beautiful song unto the Lord and to, to the heavens. Just the next, the next move of recorded in the Bible was, so the people grumbled at Moses, saying, what shall we drink? Now, hold on. He just delivered you from the Egyptians, and now you're worried about water? I mean, this is... He, he split an entire sea open and then swallowed up your enemy, and you're worried about where water... The, your next drink is going to come from? So they're grumbling, complaining. That's chapter 15. 
Chapter 16, we find this. The story of God providing manna and meat. I'm going to do this as quick as I can. Verse 3, the sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full? They're saying, when we were, with, when we were in slavery, at least we had something to eat. Hey, dummies, he just split an entire ocean for you. Relax. And you just sang a song about how great he was and said how much you respected and admired the miracle that he just did for you. And now you're worried about if you're going to be able to eat. For have you brought us out into the wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger? And this is like a petulant 12-year-old girl. <laughs> or a 40-year-old man. I'm 36, okay? <laughs> right? It's like, wait, you're, you're freaking out because I won't buy a pack of gum and I just bought you a $300 wardrobe, you know? Chill. You're blessed. It's in, under control. Daddy's got lots. You're going to be taken care of, kid. Right? Now, I don't know about you, but I'd be upset and angry. And this is the God of the Old Testament. You'd think he'd be angry. Like, why are you complaining again? Then we move on in, in, in chapter 16. Are you with me? Are you getting this pattern? Verse 12. I've heard the grumblings of the sons of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So here comes the miracle. Listen, not only am I going to give you bread in the morning, but you're going to get meat at twilight. You're going to have meat, okay? So just relax, guys. I'm giving you everything you need to survive, okay? Quit complaining. Then we find out chapter 17. You guys are getting a whole Exodus thing here. There's water from the rock. Verse 3, but the people thirsted there for water, and you're never going to believe it. They grumbled <laughs> against Moses and said, why now have you brought us from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Like, how many miracles do we have to do for you people? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, what shall I do to this people? A little more, and they will stone me, saying, listen, they are going to stone me if you don't do something. So we know the story Moses strikes a rock, water flows, on and on and on, right? I'm missing one in here because it's the, it's, it's the, how did I miss that? No, it's the, it's, uh, it's uh, the bitter water of Merah. He turned the bitter water into sweet water. Anyways, it's in there. There's another one where they come and there's this bitter water and they're crying. They're like, how are we going to drink this? It's bitter. It's, it's not Dasani, you know? It's like, it's not Fiji, really. And so the Lord comes and makes the bitter water sweet. Every time they grumble, they complain, God meets their need anyways. Every time, listen to me, you see this pattern. Every time they're blaming Moses, they're blaming God. We'd rather die. We'd rather go back to slavery. We'd rather just, you know, just, just throwing a fit at every stop. Not acting like children of God. And yet God's wrath is nowhere to be found. Why? I want to start with this idea. First of all, the law had not been spoken yet. The Ten Commandments had not been given. The whole Old Covenant, the Mosaic Law, had not been given. They didn't have instructions about the tabernacle. 
The Spirit of God in the tabernacle where one guy at one time a year could have access to it. All these rules and regulations that really began to separate God from man that Jesus came to build the bridge between that we know wasn't even there yet. Interesting that the God, quote-unquote, of the Old Testament that we oftentimes read about, the fire and brimstone, the lightning, the thunder, the thunderous voice, the smoke, which we're getting ready to see is coming, isn't here. And the law had not been poured out. Is anybody hanging with me with what I'm saying tonight? So they grumble, complain, have a need, God meets it anyways. Why? Because the entire time, you guys are going to represent all of the things they needed, okay? So the bittersweet water, grumble, complain. God meets the need. Why? Because along the journey, he's the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore, right? We believe that? The same God the entire way through every whining, grumbling, complaining thing that they encountered, the lack of faith, the, the, the lack of, under, the lack of they, 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 they couldn't keep in their mind that God had delivered them yesterday, he's going to deliver them today. Every step of the way where you and I would say, that person, that person doesn't know the God I know. They don't trust God. They have no faith. They whine and complain all the time. We might even say, I think they've fallen from grace. Yet, at every turn, what they didn't deserve, God still poured out to them, which is the very definition of what grace is. It's what we don't deserve. It's about what God has and not what we've done. It's about his goodness, not about how righteous we are by ourselves in our own accord. So we see this pattern beginning to develop. When does things begin to change? When does God, the, like, it's like, hey, God, like, hey, you're supposed to be angry and upset and do it like, come on, buddy, you're not playing your role right. Like, you're kind of being too nice to them. Like, that happens like a couple thousand years later. Like, did nobody tell you that this, this three-part act play, like the first act, you're supposed to be mean? When did it shift and Why? This is going to all make sense. I promise you we're going to come back to Hebrews. I promise you. We're going to come back to the fall from grace thing. I'm going to show you this. It changes in Exodus 19. So we have all these miracles. Exodus 19. Moses came and he called the elders of the people. He had just had a meeting with God. The Ten Commandments hadn't come. The law hadn't come. The instructions about the tabernacle had not come. None of that was there. He had a meeting with God, and he comes down, and he says, um, and set before them all these words which the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Doesn't that sound spiritual? Doesn't that sound like they're being so obedient? The Lord said, uh, and Moses brought back the words to the people, or of the people to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, behold, I will come to you in a thick cloud, so that the people may hear when I speak with you. And may also believe in you forever. Then Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their garments. Do you see that all of a sudden we're beginning to see God change the way he's speaking to Moses and the people? He's beginning to give them what really is the, the, the law on, on how they're, they're going to conduct a, and communicate with him. 
how they're going to worship. He's beginning to set up something that we really haven't seen before. He says, he, so Moses went down from the mountain to the people. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, uh, go to the people, consecrate them today and tomorrow. Oh, this is all here. No, it isn't. All right. Sorry. Then Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. Then Moses said, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments. Let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Listen to this verse 12. Remember this scripture. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Beware that you do not go up on the mountain or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Do you hear me? Remember that scripture. Whoever touches the mountain will surely be put to death. Take that scripture and put it in one side of your brain for a moment. No hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they will come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. They washed their garments. He said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. So it came about on the third day when it was morning that there were thunder and lightning flashes, a thick cloud upon the mountain. There were a very loud trumpet sound so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Like, is God schizophrenic? These people mumble, complain. They're, they're blaming Moses. They have no faith. And every, at every stop, the Lord still says, I want to show you that I'm good. I want to show you that I'm good. I want to show you that I'm good. I know you're whining and complaining, and I know you've made a mess of things, but I still want to meet your need. I still want to show you I'm good. I'm the God who provides. I am grace. I give you what you don't deserve the entire way. What shifted it? What changed it? Why does God all of a sudden take this different shift in tone with the Israelites? Let me tell you why. It was the moment when Moses came down and said, the Lord has told me to tell you guys some things. He didn't even say the Lord has 10 commandments. He didn't even say the Lord has the law for you. And they said, oh, we, we can do anything he asks us to. You remember the Bible says there's not one righteous among us. It was the moment where they stepped not in obedience because they didn't even know what the Lord was asking. How are you obedient to something you don't even know you've been asked to do? If I look at you and say, will you do it? And you're like, do what? And then if you say to me, Pastor Dan, I'll do anything you ask me to do. Oh, really? Well, I need 50 grand, so you need to go Bank of America and take care of that for me. Here's a mask. <laughs> you don't even know what you're agreeing to. That's not obedience. That's self-righteousness. That's belief that there's nothing you can't do on your own. I can do, and we will do anything the Lord commands us to. Has anybody ever run into somebody like that? I am a holy oracle of God, and I, can, I will do anything the Lord commands me to do. And the Lord said, oh, really? You think that you can fulfill my commandments. You think that you can do it on your own. All right. Try this on for size. Lightning. Thunder. Loud voice. Hey, none of you touch that mountain. Your hands are going to be burned. Don't go near a woman. Wash your garments. And then we move into this. 
from 11 chapters of law. 11, these aren't small chapters, 40 verses, 30 verses, 50 verses. 11 chapters, 10 commandments first. Here's the 10 commandments. Then the old covenant laws. I don't know how many there are. Somebody knows 664 or something like that, something 34. Over 600 laws. Instructions for the worship and building of the tabernacle, which is extensive, down to every stitch, every color, the type of fabric, where it's been. Every, all of a sudden, the God who along the journey, even in their mess, is saying, hey, I'll still meet your need because I'm good, shifts in a moment to you want to live according to the law and you think you can do this on your own? You think you can add up to what I'm asking you to do on your own? Try. The sad thing is, is that the church is still trying to. I don't have any more time, but that's okay. I'm going to keep going. Maybe another hour. Just hold on. We end up in the next chapter with the golden calf. We end up with Moses coming down the mountain and telling the, those from the tribe of Levi to take their swords out and to kill 3,000 people. We end up with them worshiping a false idol after the law had been poured out, after the law had been given to them, after they decided we can do anything the Lord commands us to. How many of you have ever made New Year's resolutions? And stuck to them. I can do it. I don't need anyone's help. I surely don't need Jesus. Nobody has to make up the difference for me. I can do it. Do you see this picture tonight? If you can give me five minutes, I'll finish, okay? Then... It's interesting. We're going to go back to Hebrews, but it's interesting because, um, you know, Peter was in the same situation. I preached on Peter denying Jesus and that whole thing last Wednesday, if you remember. And if you go back to Mark 14, there's a couple different versions of it. John 18, Mark 14, I think. Mark 14, we find that Peter, in his conversations with Jesus, right as the Last Supper was beginning to finish up around that time period, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's saying, hey, listen, like all of you are going to scatter. Like you, you, it's just going to happen. Like there's some bad stuff that's getting ready to go down. And listen, he was just telling them, like, I understand it. I get it. And Peter steps up. See, people think that Peter fell from grace when he cursed God. He didn't. He fell from grace in this moment. Way before he cursed God. Way before, way before he denied Jesus. He fell from grace, had nothing to do with his mistake, had everything to do with this one thing. He looked at Jesus and he said, these others may fall away, but me, not me. I can do it. What has happens in that moment? Jesus looks at him and says, by the morning or when the cock crows, You'll deny me three times. In that moment, when Peter left 
left grace, listen to me, fell from grace and decided to take up the law, which is all about how well you perform and what you can do in your own ability. The minute he made that exchange, like we talked about on Sunday, with that word in the Greek, if you remember, the minute he transposed and made that exchange, Jesus looked at him and said, as a matter of fact, you're going to deny me three times because you can't do this on your own. You can't white knuckle it. You want to know what falling from grace is tonight? It's when you think that you can do this and white knuckle it and follow all the rules and that's somehow going to have the Spirit of God pour out on you or that's somehow going to cause you to be in right standing with God. You can't do it. And some of you have been trying for way too long and all you've ever felt like was a giant failure. Because tonight we need to become cognizant tonight. We need, to, we need to come to the recognition in our minds and be aware tonight that it's only by the grace of God. Let's go back to Hebrews as we close tonight. We ended in verse 17. I want to show you how cool this is. Verse 18. That's, that's the scripture in Peter. For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched to a blazing fire and to darkness and gloom and whirlwind. (laughs) He just talks about falling from grace. He just talks, the three verses before that talks about falling from grace. And then he makes reference back to the story in Exodus. The Holy Spirit in that moment, as he's pouring out the oracle of God, the words from heaven, he makes reference back to that scripture. And he says, hey, This isn't Mount Sinai. This is not the law. There's something different here. Is that that unbelievable? And he says this, and to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words, which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word would be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command. Even if a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. Doesn't this sound exactly like we read in Exodus thousands of years before this? And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. It's painting this picture of the condition that you and I are in when we think that the law is what we live by. But you ain't in Sinai anymore, honey. You are not at Mount Sinai anymore. You have relocated. The moving truck has backed up and got your stuff. You are not at Mount Sinai where you think you can do it all on your own. For it says you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God and the heavenly Jerusalem and to the myriad of angels. And there be, what? No immoral. Oh, what the heck? I was all excited. I was building into it. My voice was crescendoing perfectly. To the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enthralled in, enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. Do you see how this all ties together tonight? Do you see what the Lord is saying here? We start off thinking that he's slamming somebody who's sinned and has fallen from grace. 
we, we, we think that he's saying something totally different. And what he's saying is, is he's saying, listen, you fall from grace when you go back to Mount Sinai and you think you can do it on your own. You fall from grace and you, when you go back to that place where you think that it's about your ability and your behavior and your righteousness when God says there's not one righteous among you. He says, because there's something else that has come. You are not at the base of the mountain of Sinai. This is not the mountain where if you touch it, that, that your hand will be burned up. This is not the mountain where the law was poured out. You're at a new mountain where there's a new covenant that's been poured out. And that new covenant said that I have fulfilled the law and paid the price for your sin and mistake so that you can walk in freedom. Listen, if you get this in your heart and your spirit, if you stop allowing these made-up things that we've done as, as, as men, we've made these things up to control people and to push them down, it's not who God is. God is a God of freedom. And he's setting you free tonight. There's no power in the law for you to live holy. The only way we will live in holiness is through grace. There's no power in the law for you to live righteously. The only way you'll ever live righteously is through grace. Because there is not one of us that can be righteous. There's not one of us that can get it right all the time. There's not one of us that, 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 that will ever, ever add up to what he poured out on that mountain. It is only by grace. And when you get that in your spirit, when you let go of all of the all of the preconceived ideas, when you let go tonight, finally, once and for all, let go of all, the, all of the expectations that have been put on your life. When you let those go, I'm going to just preach. I'm trying to finish, but I, someone has got to get this in their spirit. When you let go of the expectations on your life, and you finally, once and for all, receive the promise of God over your life that is grace and forgiveness and freedom, and when you finally realize you're right, when you look in the mirror and you're all that there, there is, you don't add up. And you are full of a mess and mistake. But when you look in the mirror through the eyes of Jesus, you don't see that anymore. You see what grace has come in your life and what it's done and what it's created and what it's poured out. For you are at Mount Zion where there is a new covenant and Jesus has set us free. Do you see this picture tonight? Yeah. Next time you tell somebody, oh, I feel bad for the next person that says to you, well, you heard that sister so-and-so has fallen from grace. You'd be like, yeah, that doesn't even mean that. You're going to be like, you're going to be so frustrated you won't be able to say a word. That's the picture. We go back to what, Sunday. It's transposed, it's switched out, it's changed. We've taken grace and we've run back to what's comfortable. We've taken grace and replaced it with the law. We've taken grace and like we read in Galatians and we've gone, we've taken the thing that was done once and for all and we've replaced it with the old covenant. But there is something brand new. Amen? Amen. That's enough tonight. It's 826. I'm a little bit over time, but hopefully you got that tonight. Uh, and as you leave here, we'll walk away with something really to think about. Uh, because it is so clear tonight what God is really trying to say to us. Uh, let's just pray. People are watching via Facebook, so I'm not going to have you stand because um, they're praying right along with us back there. Father, we just thank you for tonight. We thank you for your people and what you've said and what you've poured out to us, God. 
Lord, as, we, as we've tackled these things, God, it's not about proving somebody wrong. It's just about fully understanding and renewing our mind to who you really are. God, if we can get this right understanding and right perspective of who you are and what you've poured out, we will no longer, Lord, be so constantly disgusted with ourselves, constantly disappointed in where we fall short. Tonight, the only way we can really fall from grace, according to Exodus, according to Hebrews, is when we decide to return back to the base of Mount Sinai. When we leave Mount Zion for Mount Sinai, when we leave the place of Jesus' new covenant poured out for us and go back to the place where we think we can perform our way into your blessing. Tonight, God, as we hear this, let us begin to walk in a place of freedom that we can truly live a life that is worthy of what you created us to be, not striving, not trying our hardest, but resting in who you are and who you've created us to be, that we will begin to live our identity in you and not our identity in people's opinion or expectations for our life. So Father, I ask you bless your people, bless those that are watching via Facebook tonight. Lord, keep everyone safe in this place. We pray for the victims of, of that terrible tragedy and hurricane, um, Lord, and the tropical storm and flooding there. We pray for all those that are affected, those that have gone without, those that are homeless tonight. Lord, we don't take for granted that tonight we're in an air-conditioned place or it's dry or we live in a home where everything's functioning. We don't take that for granted tonight. Lord, we, uh, we, we're grateful, but God, our heart breaks for those that don't have that tonight. We just thank you, Lord, that in the midst of darkness, that there's a great opportunity for, for you to shine through people. Lord, that there even be just a, a revival that be, begins to start in Houston. Just random acts of kindness of people seeing the love of Jesus through the, through the acts of others. We just thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you guys. Thanks for bearing with it tonight and hearing this. We'll see you Sunday morning. I believe my dad is speaking Sunday morning on both services.